Hi, nerds. I'm Michael Moore, hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm here with Rob Glass, CEO of Computer Systems Plus Incorporated. Hey, Rob, how's it going today? Hey, it's going good, buddy. Hey, uh, um, I'm going to start off with a little icebreaker segment. Uh, we call it Random Access Memories. Uh, I ask a question and you come uh, back with whatever comes to your head first, right? Yeah. Uh, first question I got for you is virtual reality or augmented reality? As in which one do I prefer? Or oh, <laughs> I love the augmented reality that's coming out. I'm a little bit of a car and geek nerd and some of the heads up notifications on the augmented reality uh, stuff. I'm looking at Kia's new EV6 all electric vehicle right now. And it's got an augmented reality on the screen, kind of putting you some heads up stuff. I don't know. I nerd out about that because that reminds me of a lot of the sci-fi stuff growing up as a kid. I, I, I agree with you, actually. Uh, seeing some of the uh, sci-fi that they have out now, I actually think the augmented reality is even cooler because you get to interact with the real world and then add on top of yep. it additional information that might help you out. So I'm actually excited. I'm a glasses wearer. So hopefully, eventually, I can have a heads-up display while I actually talk to people. <laughs> That would be cool. Uh, if they could query my LinkedIn and remind me of their name, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, what's the worst computer you have ever used? The worst computer I've ever used? Um, I think I'm going to pivot a little bit and say it is actually an old CRT monitor. Uh, so we are uh, we do take care of a lot of clients, and sometimes we see some scary things when we show up um, at their sites. and. It wasn't that long ago, maybe a few years ago, that we were planning a new title company and they had all CRT monitors still in the late 2000, uh, 2018s. Uh, and so to think that there were still class two monitors in existence hurt my eyeballs to even look at them. So I think that classifies as the worst because it was <laughs> unimaginably bad. They're so heavy and yet built so well. They lasted so long. <laughs> yes, but if you look at one now, you, you, we've all forgotten what they look like. It will hurt your head to look at them for more than five minutes. So, <laughs> um, last one here. Uh, we use so many acronyms in IT. What's your favorite acronym? My favorite uh, favorite acronym. I think my favorite is TCIP because I. You ask uh, an interview question, you will usually ask, what does TCIP stand for? And you will get the most random responses because no one can remember. Um, and it's just a, such a common one that we all throw out every day that I think half the people in IT forget um, what the full meaning of it is. So, Transport Control Protocol Internet Protocol. That's right. <laughs> I'm now I'm thinking like I should run a some type of a contest where people could just put their craziest acronyms for TCIP <laughs> and see what happens. Um, oh, that's a good one. I actually thought maybe you would say MSP, right? Since I, if, oh. I think it's great, you are running a uh, MSP, and it's been around yep. for quite a while, right? Correct. Yes. So my father, we're technically two generations old. My father started the company. Um, 1984. Uh, so we're 38 years old and running. Um, though MSP wasn't a thing in the early 80s. Uh, so that's a more recent um, badge that we wear. But uh, 
Uh, it, it is a 38-year-old established IT solutions company and managed service provider. Um, we get new names. We were a value-added reseller for a long time. So whatever the newest name is, that's what we are and that's what we're rolling. <laughs> nice. So um, you said that uh, it, what you said your father started the business? Yep, out of his uh, garage for a few months, but he saw the value of having an actual commercial space. So he's very proud to say he was not a one-man shop for very long working out of his garage um, very quickly. So uh, yeah, he started it. I was, not to date myself, but I was three at the time. So I've been with the company in some form or fashion all 38 years. Wow, wow. You know, uh, thinking about this, every time I hear about somebody starting something, they started out of their garage. So yeah. I'm now starting to think that maybe I should just get my operations, move them out, out into my garage and start it there. Yeah, start it on your garage. Uh, the old Steve Jobs building PCs in his garage kind of a deal. But uh, no, he moved to a commercial space within a few months. Um, he just wanted that actual brick and mortar feel to get started with. Uh, but it is, uh, it's definitely the American dream for sure. Wow. Starting it up it. and running it. You don't, see, you don't see many ISPs. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, ISPs. Sorry, you don't see okay. many MSPs. Uh, that um, you know have been around for uh, 38 years. Um, wow, that's a that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, you guys uh, specialize in uh, small and medium businesses. You were kind of talking about. Correct. Yeah. So we do well in the small and medium space, or we're priced very well. Our services are aligned to that. We we are proud that we do so. We take huge enterprise services and boil it down um, to small and medium companies' uh, needs. So it's kind of a best of both worlds on the service offering front. Um, but we just like our mom and pops. We're still a small business. Um, we take care of a lot of small businesses in the Southeast and specifically East Tennessee. And that's just a good space to be in. Um, I'm a firm believer in you know, small business drives our economy, feeds the bigger businesses. So we feel like we're, we're supporting place in the economy. Yeah, and that's great. The, uh, um, uh, you know, got a, a nice place in my heart for Tennessee because my wife, uh, uh lived in, uh, um, Dixon, Tennessee for, you know, most of my oh, life. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. So, um, I, and on top of that, I used to manage a, a data center over in Nashville. So, um, okay. a, a lot of ties to Tennessee over my over years. I, you know, I, I, I never lived there, but I visited there many times. I love Tennessee. Great, great state. Yes. And, uh, I do have an attachment to Dixon too, as well. Um, I knew a lady from there back in my college days, so we won't go down that road on this conversation. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you know, when you uh, people think of MSPs, um, it, you know, the, it's always kind of a, you know, a, a, the question comes up, you know, if I have internal IT, right? Why do I need uh, an MSP, or is there a is there a, a um, combination of the two? Or is it a replacement? Um, but I think it's a great spot right here because you got a whole bunch of uh, IT folks and also uh, business leaders uh, that follow this podcast. Um, and I would love uh, if you could explain what your thought process is on where managed service providers fit in uh, uh, in for businesses and uh, and how they can um, you know not not necessarily place, but, um, uh, you know, work with current existing IT in some cases and, and, and adapt. Uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah. So, uh, that model is what's being more commonly known as co-managed IT. So, and it is a growing space that 
know, that area where you have on-staff IT and you have a managed service provider. So the co-manage, we have clients we co-manage with their um, IT staff. We have clients and we see the space where we are 100% their IT um, services and solutions provider, um, nothing on staff. And then we have some clients where we offer one little small managed service out of our offerings, um, whether that's a BCDR or a cybersecurity service um, that just helps their team to kind of fill in their space. So there's really three spaces that exist there. Um, we've adapted, I think, pretty well to all three over the years. Uh, but as a, as a general topic of conversation, managed service provider, I think we're seeing that just like we see outsourced bookkeeping, just like we see outsourced payroll, just like we see outsourced um, staffing. So if that makes sense in your business, we often come alongside of a lot of other outsourced providers. You know, um, We're typically not always a company's first outsourced source of um, service of some kind. Uh, a business will be used to that model already. You know, They don't have bookkeeping in-house. They don't have in-house. Legal CPA, they're very used to this conversation. So we just kind of flow right into that. We're usually not people's first um, service that's been outsourced. Uh, but, you know, I think the one thing that COVID taught us um, is that, you know, when it comes to, you know, business continuity, you put a lot of eggs in a sole key person on staff. And I never want to take anybody's job away from them or have someone let go because they brought in a vendor. We all hate that sticky conversation. But the reality is, as a team of individuals, um, for cost less than a payroll cost, we can provide a broader depth of service than one person can. So that's where it kind of comes in as a better value to a business owner to be like, hey, I know I'm paying John. John's great. He's on staff. I, he's there when I need him. But John also can provide VCIO services. John also isn't monitoring stuff 24 by 7 with outsourced NOC services. And so we kind of help do a lot that John can't do. And when John's on vacation, he can't help me. Rob's team is never on vacation. There's always somebody there. And so for business continuity, it's really hard to do the same thing with an in-house staff unless you're hundreds and thousands of people and have that. And so that's then where we offer that kind of co-managed model. No, it's In a the small way. business space, it works well. That's a great way to look at it. I think that I think that's right. And it, um, you kind of see like where a small business can kind of grow uh, um, uh, using that spot. Um, you know, an, in, an interesting thing about MSPs is they deal with so many different industries. Um, and especially you being over in, uh, near Nashville, where there's a ton of, a ton of businesses. I know Nashville is a huge over from a healthcare standpoint. Um, I, I know they have some other different businesses. What are you seeing, uh, in, in, when, you know, from a standpoint of the kind of emerging businesses post COVID in this new kind of uh, uh, realm, uh, what are you seeing uh, from a business standpoint uh, where you guys need to, these businesses that are growing that, that need this type of support? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty much the same story post or pre COVID really. Um, but Know, what we're seeing that we can adapt and scale um, to a certain point. We've we've had some clients that have grown larger than us, and then so that's where we do focus on the small on the small space. So that works well. Uh, we're happy to play a part in any company's history. Obviously, as they grow, um, I think the you know the thing that we see is 
and challenges too on our parts is um, acquisitions are always sticky because a bigger companies will, will gobble up little companies as they go along and buy client lists or competition or whatever that looks like. Um, and so we don't normally go along with the companies that get acquired because they are being acquired with someone that, with other IT services. So it definitely is something where, you know, we have to keep our ear on the ground on a business side, what business needs are there, what technology needs are there, how do we help them grow, we grow them to a certain point, and then we're happy to offer them up to somebody else that offers them better. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, and we are we are in technically in Knoxville, but we do see the same thing that Nashville sees. I mean, we have industries here like, you know, that are huge, pilot gas and oil all over the United States and you know, thousands and thousands of um locations. I think Warren Buffett picked them up recently, um, that sort of thing. And so we see huge corporations like that. And then we see little mom and pops here in the same space, much like Nashville sees. So how can we help both and how can we, you know, be a be a value is is kind of a daily thing where we just have to keep our ear to the ground of the changes. What kind of um, uh, trends are you seeing uh, in 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 supporting these uh, uh, small medium businesses? Are you seeing any emerging trends that uh, what we should be aware of? Um, well, I mean, there's always the cybersecurity trend. Everyone's a big deal on that one. Um, I think that we are seeing trends where that is not only becoming a need because of, um, of security, but, um, and, I, and I think in some markets, this, is, this might also sound kind of like a big, no, no duh kind of moment, but it, it, if you're not taking that cybersecurity um, concepts and needs, uh, if you're not taking it to a, a proper level in your business, you're not going to be able to be able to work with the government. You're not going to be, you know, you can't be a small contractor anymore and not have these certain criteria in place. You're not going to be able to get cyber insurance anymore if you do not have certain things in place. I mean, it used to be back in the day, you could buy cyber insurance, no one cared, right? Well, if you don't have patching now, if you don't have endpoint security, if you don't have edge security, you're not even going to get, you know, policy put in front of you. And so there are things now from a cybersecurity standpoint that you know used to be, well, that's nice. I wish I was more secure, but now it's like, oh, I can't even do my job or run my company without it. And so um, some markets, probably like Nashville, Atlanta, bigger markets, that's, that, that happened a few years ago. For the smaller no- uh, markets like Knoxville and stuff, we're having that conversation a lot. Of like, you know, you're not going to be able to get cyber insurance next year if you don't do this um, kind of a thing. So that, at least in our world, in East Tennessee, that's kind of our current um, emerging trend, if you will. You know, I'm glad you brought up um, a security piece. It's it's so huge. Uh, I, it sounds like you were talking about um, DFARS and CMMC certification, yep. right? Yeah, those are those fun acronyms that we talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's an acronym for any everything, yep. Yep. right? Um, yeah, those are uh, those are huge. And um, and you know, it's interesting to see. Uh, I've worked with some of the small uh, smaller companies on on DFARS and CMMC, and there's different stages based on if you're a contractor, right? And right. What and what I uh, what I found on there was, um, you know, a well. First of all, CMMC is, CMMC is having you know is basically coming into fruition now. It's been it was kind of pushed, delayed, allowed people to kind of get up to speed. But I've seen some of these requirements, and um, and and frankly, uh, from a small business standpoint, um, it makes it really difficult for small businesses to do business with the government if they're contractors. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, we have one, you know, can't say names or anything, but we have a, a client that makes a little metal widget that they sell them. Just a little thing. I, I think it has something to do that shoots something up in the air that explodes or something at some point. But that's all they do is manu- for, for the feds. They, manu- they make that one little piece of um, metal widget. You know, it seems uh, so small and insignificant, but they have to meet these criterias. And they're a little mom and pop manufacturer. And so, yeah, it's, it's tough. It is definitely um, challenging. It's challenging for us to be able to completely understand that and then regurgitate it and explain it to them on what they're doing, a level that they can understand too. So um, that adds challenges to our, our, our plate too as well. It, it is, you know, it's difficult. For, it, it's difficult for internal IT uh, yeah. uh, to, you know, sometimes talk to uh, um, executives and, and say, hey, you, you need to spend some money. Right. I, right. I bet it's got to be difficult for, uh, from an MSP standpoint to turn around and talk to clients and say, hi, I know you're spending money, but you need to spend more and here's why. Yeah. And it gets even a little bit more awkward when that when you're like, oh, by the way, I can actually help you spend that money with my own services. And then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> definitely play as consultants or VCIOs, um, um, virtual um, CIOs. We definitely play a balancing act of, you know, sometimes we, we show them there's a better service elsewhere that they can get. Um, and that kind of helps the conversation and build a rapport. Be like, hey, I'm willing to say, spend this money over here, not with me, but because you need it to run your business. And so we work very hard on building rapport with our clients, not only when we're first initiating the conversation of contracts, but months and months after that, it's all about constantly building that rapport with them. And that goes so much more than QBRs and all these reports. It has to be more than just a paper thing you shove in front of them. It's about doing business with them in a reliable way that they can trust. And that, that when you build that trust, it's easy. When it's not there, yeah, it's hard and sticky. All right. Let, let's you throw another acronym on there, uh, right. QBR, right? We, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that stands for a quarterly business review, right? Yep. You got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and, uh, and what does a, a QBR give uh, your, your clients? Yeah, so some of our clients, it's funny, We, our, uh, my contract manager and I were just talking about this earlier. Some don't even want to meet quarterly. They have no desire. They barely want to meet annually, but just we kind of force that on them because we have to have that health check and checkup, right? No, you have to understand this is important for you. Uh, so the ones that we do have that more um, calendar uh, review, that's more than just once a year, maybe it's uh, half a year, maybe it is quarterly. Uh, you know, we're, we're reviewing everything from the health of their fleet from a hardware standpoint to what is endpoint and managed threat response finding and building reports from that. So we're, we're pulling in all this data set. Some um, have other criteria depending upon their business that we pull in um, to, you know, we have reports that show, make sure everything's encrypted from a disk encryption standpoint. Um, so it kind of depends on the client's need. We're, we're really trying to tailor the information and not just shove in unimportant information from them, but things that is important to them. So if our clients are concerned about things silly, I don't know, how is their bandwidth being utilized? Are there people working? Are they just watching YouTube all day? If they need a report like that, we'll say, okay, let us let us involve that report into these meetings with you. So um, we take the time to kind of figure out what their needs are and then tailor those reports to what their needs are. Very nice. Um, like to pivot specifically to you. Um, it's it, very interesting. It, like like you mentioned, you started very young at a young age, kind of being 
uh, um, uh, I guess, uh, so to speak, almost thrown into I, uh, in the <laughs> IT world, right? With your father, uh, uh, you know, uh, running that stuff. Actually, very similar. My my dad um, uh, was in it uh, was in IT. He was a, a programmer in <laughs> in the uh, um, in the Air Force, and then uh, moved into uh, uh, doing more of a um, a sales role, but for IT um, I, IT work, right? Yeah. And so. Um, and so the, you know, I was thrown in at an early age, uh, you know, sitting there at, you know, seven, eight years old on, uh, you know, on, uh, early prodigy, uh, uh running yeah. off like a DOS or something, um, you know, with a, with a green screen, you know, and, and trying to, uh, um, uh, compose an email, um, and then kind of evolved from there. Right. And I want to kind of, if I could hear your journey. Uh, from that young age and your perspective on that? Yeah. So, I mean, my perspective is obviously tailored a lot to my father's goals and desires. And so he started this company um, because the IT industry was running him ragged and he missed my first birthday um, because <laughs> he was doing a deployment for a bank in Atlanta. And he said, never again, I'm, I'm going to run a company and I'm going to I'm going to make my own job. And so if you're familiar with like the E-Myth, um, the E-Myth Revisited books and those kind of scenarios, there's three people that start a company. Um, one of them is the technician role. My father's that classic technician role. He made a company so that he had the job that he wanted to work in. He never really wanted to have a company, um, but he always wanted the right job. And so that I say that because that, that hard work mentality, that figure it out, that Mr fix it kind of mentality was always in front of me. Um, and so at an early age, I loved it. I mean, it was back in the bulletin board days, back, you know, we all sitting around 56K modem was like rocking and blazing, you know. Um, back in the bull, 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 bulletin board days, you know, we, we would, you know, get stuff and dial in and figure all it out and um, fix stuff based upon what someone else had written when that was your Google. And it kind of evolved from there in that I, in some ways, I followed his, his coattails and then diverged off a little bit. But I mean, I was always into this like repair, fix, figure out. I eventually ended up getting an engineering degree in electrical engineering and um, it's an emphasis in digital design because I got tired of fixing stuff all the time, only to find out that I was so good at labs, so bad at math that I really was designed to fix problems I could put my hands on. Um, I did my first server deployment before I had a driver's license, which is really awkward when your mom has to drop you off at a law firm to put a server in. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I, I had my hands in IT since an early age. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot of things from that. I learned, you know, everything will always break over and over again. So if I wanted to better myself, I had to look at how to like bring services that, build up a business, but I'm still doing the same thing where I'm fixing a problem. But like from a business standpoint, if that makes sense, not necessarily from a network or a server standpoint. Um, but yeah, so started out early age, hands in everything, um, fixing everything, servers, networks, and then went into engineering and then uh, actually came back to the business um, uh, now nine years ago. Um, when I came back, it was the conversation of, I'm not here to be a technician again or a systems administrator or a network engineer. I'm, I'm here to be a business person. So 
I took what I learned from the business side and I tell people I, tra- I translate geek all day long because now I know enough on the technical side and still have my hands in a lot of those cookie jars of technology, but I'm here to make a business person's life better and explain that to them. And so I have the best of both worlds after being in business so long is that I can do kind of both and situation, fix business problems and still fix the occasional IT problem. So, all right. So, so, you know, taking us from, uh, you know, a technician mindset is kind of, yep. uh, uh, you know, where you're coming from. And, uh, you know, I, I had my, uh, you know, first start on a, on a help desk and, and kind of spent that, that time kind of building up that technician role, solving, doing troubleshooting, solving yep. problems. And I just learned it never got away from you. It was, it's always something, uh, innate, uh, you know, once you learn it, that you have to solve problems, regardless of them being tech versus business, but there's a difference, right? And so I want to go into this a little bit with you because um, there are people that um, are great at solving technical problems, and there are people that are great at solving business problems. And then there exists this fuzzy area in between where people can solve either technical or business problems, uh, but Underlying between all of them are generally the same basic principles uh, uh, to doing that. What is your thought process on how you, uh, you know, how you started with tech, transferred to business, and what did you bring with you from that tech troubleshooting that you can apply to the business side of troubleshooting? Yeah, so there was uh, there was a transition between those two for me that helped. I spent some time with a company, Patagonia. They do outdoor retail clothing, and they have a big top down um, on you know how their business model works on training folks, and it it helped me pull in the people relational side to technology. I think a lot of times you know you have that one side of technology problems, and we forget there's a human behind the screen, and we forget there's a staff, and we forget there's um, you know a lot of times I'm talking to my team about. You know, it it really is more about the people behind the screen than is the problem on the screen. Uh, We have a saying around here, and we probably stole it from somewhere. You know, a client doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? We have to care for those people behind it. And then I think there is the business side of people that care so much about, that care so much about scalability and growth that they forget that there's an underlying technology that has to support that, right? And we and uh, you know, the on-staff IT constantly bumps their head about that because they don't understand and the business people don't understand. And then in the middle, I think the MSP or a lot of like um, department managers in IT live in that middle space, right? Um, the, the CIOs and, you know, the IT directors live in that middle space and the MSPs live in that middle space. And so I think we're, what we're doing is we're constantly solving the same problems, but in that middle space, we're looking outward to either one and we're seeing how the outside sources affect that middle space, if that makes sense. And so mm-hmm. when I meet with a business owner, he goes, I have such a hard time with scale. And most times it's because he's forgotten about the technology piece side of it. Or when I'm, I'm meeting with my, my team and they're very technical and they're solving very technical problems, a lot of times they're forgetting about human piece that's involved in this too as well. And this is why we have systems administrators that will be in a hurry to run out and push out a spam service or any kind of cyber service and they forget that you need to train the end users on what they're going to expect on that and it blows up in their face. Why did this blow up in my face? Well, you forgot about the problem part of that problem. So 
that middle space is, I find thrilling because you have two problems you get to solve. <laughs> Not just one, you get two. You get the human problem and you get the technology problem. But when you can marry them together, it's such a beautiful thing when it goes right. So, that was a, that's that's a great, great answer. Yeah. I, I really like that perspective too of, uh, of joining the two together and being able to kind of solve both at the same time. And, and it kind of shows an important hole in both sides, which is right. if you don't recognize both of them and combine those, you, you miss out on, on projects. And um, it, it sounds like you can also miss out on, on items like, uh, um, you know, adoptability of new IT solutions, right? And, yep. um, and, and possibly from the other angle, uh, using uh, solutions that may actually uh, save you time, save you cost, increase your productivity. So it, it, marrying the both together is a, a great way to look at it. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned, like, like you mentioned before, you did mention the technician mindset and, and a lot of hard work that came from both your father and you uh, in, in getting to that, that spot. Um, how, does, how do you translate, because, you know, you're one person, Right. But how do you translate that hard work mentality out to your team? So and that's I think the 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 interesting part about this is and one of the things that I think will relate to both IT directors and MSPs, all these types of different different businesses, uh, which is how do you take that mentality that you have that's been so successful and translate that out to your team members so that they can reflect back what you start you started or and I should say your father started. Yeah, I think, you know, what has helped us to do that and and I don't know if, you know, queried dad on this, if you would say the same thing, but we've aligned ourselves to a set of core values. And those core values, um, one, put down in verbiage what success looks like. A lot of time people kind of, they want to be successful. They, you know, most people, most people I would say, you know, want to be successful on a team, but their view of success may not be yours. And so when you give them, and this goes beyond the whole, you know, key performance indicators, KPIs and stuff like that. This is, this is saying this is a core value. And when all three of those align, this is where success happens. And so what we have found is when there's, we are not being successful, one of those is missing. When we are successful, all three are there. And, um, you know, I struggled early on, you know, to get back to your question of like, oh, no one works as hard as the boss does. No one works, um, you know, gives 100% because that was my technician. That was that work value. Um, one of my personal um, core values is I, I value hard work, you know, and constantly push at it to, to a fault, probably, my wife would say. Um, at times, uh, but no you know, missing birthdays, no missing birthdays. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but what we had to say was, okay, is that Rob's core value or is that a team core value? When we started looking at core values and when, once we defined them, we could define them for the team, then it was easy for the team to make them. And so, um, we, we have those core values when, we, when people align. So when we hire new staff members or shoot, when I'm in the interview process, First interview of our series of interviews, I put them down on paper and I say, here's our core values. If these three core values you can't look at and they're not the most awesomest core values to you, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. 
doesn't mean you're not successful. It just means you won't be successful here. And That's so a That's a and, that, and yes. so we put those down there. And so that has helped us out tremendously on just naming, claiming they're there and they don't work for you. And then we started taking those and we evaluate our clients with those. And if we see that our clients don't line up to those three, it doesn't mean they're a bad group or firm or whatever business. It just means we might have a hard time taking care of them. Um, and we either help them adapt to those and understand the importance of those, or there's been times we say goodbye to those, right? Because we just know it's not going to work out. We're all going to be upset with each other at the end of the day. So why, why, you know, go against the grain on this when there's an easier way and there might be a better provider for them. So, um, seeing those core values help people to raise up to them and then they look successful because they are. Um, and then we, then they know that they're successful and that helps them feel better about being part of the team. Yeah, Rob, I think that's great. I think that, you know, when you look at um, any type of a partnership, uh, both sides benefiting from the partnership makes the best type of partnership, right? Uh, whether or not that's, you know, someone being hired and, and working for the company, or that's another client that, uh, that you're working with, or an, a, a, someone you're partnering with to extend your services, right? Um, that's right. Yeah, so sounds I think like you the, sounds like you read the same books my therapist does too, as well. <laughs> 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 gotta have boundaries, gotta have values, Rob. You gotta put them out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, looking at uh, um, you said something kind of you know it, it really made me kind of pique my interest, which is uh, when you're looking at uh, onboarding um, uh, folks for for hiring folks and, and having mm-hmm. them work for you. Uh, you uh, make sure that their core values line up with yours. Um, is there, uh, you know, any other, uh, I guess, recommendations uh, that you would have uh, for, uh, you know, companies uh, and or people that are looking to get hired, companies that are looking to hire uh, that, you know, can can look and get these uh, uh, these folks uh, lined up and, and adjusted with their business? Because this is such a such a big deal. I'm right now. I mean, I, you know, people say the the great resignation, I call it the great reshuffling. It is, is. you know, I, I, all I see is people moving back and forth and, you know, and trying to get to the right spot. And, uh, and it does, it seems like a, you know, a, you know, reshuffling of, of talent around, um, in that case, uh, what is the, uh, you know, when you go to hire or even when you go, when you look to retain, uh, what, what are you doing to make, to ensure that you're, uh, you know, keeping and or getting the talent, uh, that you need and or attracting the talent that you need? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the first one, and this is a big conversation that's hard for us in the small business world is, um, valuing our, our teammates with the correct pay level. Um, you know, it, it sounds like a, you know, big no brainer, but the reality is it, it's hard. We're a small business. We can't always compete salary level, but we do have to understand that there's a value. And as I've talked to other business owners, they say, well, I can't afford to pay that. I can't afford to pay that. And it's like, well, then you need to look at a revenue stream. That's a revenue stream problem. Because if then, you know, if this is what you want, if this is the, you know, level of candidate you want to attract, then you've, then you've got to compete with that. And the hard side with us as a small business is now with this, more comfortable remote force of workers is I'm competing for um, people that are getting salaries out of companies out of New York that are willing to pay that because they're getting a great deal about hiring someone in East Tennessee. Um, and so that, that has really muddled the waters on what that looks like. 
Um, you know, I tell people, you know, I'll just internalize it is that uh, we're here for the work life balance. We're here as a mom and pop to understand the needs. And that's not always for everybody. Sometimes people are looking at that dollar amount. That's their first evaluation on when they're coming on. But I tell people, we're not the fanciest or flashiest. We don't have an in house gym. Nothing fun like that, but we make up with it with you know, good hearts and good worth ethics. And you know, we have a good uh, work-life balance. And that's our goal so that kids can go to... You know, so you can go to your kid's soccer game and you have time to do other life stuff. So that work-life balance is a big thing. So presenting that and being able to talk about that um, at the interview process, I think goes a long way. I think it's been a while since I've had an interview for a job, but I would want that conversation at the beginning. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just environment. They'll figure it out when they get here. And I think there are, there's companies that have done a good job at the very beginning to say, no, this is our work environment. This is what work-life balance looks like for us. You know, I've been talking to a couple of business owners about what does the four-day work week look like? What, is, you know, what does that look like for them and being able to communicate that? And that's not for everybody, but for the ones that can make it work, having that at the very beginning of saying, hey, no, we can present a four-day work life um, they can. That's an attraction to them for people who want it. And so, having that right work-life environment and knowing what works for you in that, I think attracts the people that you want, regardless of that first conversation of money, which will always have to happen. But if you put the emphasis on the right work-life balance that looks good for your team, you'll attract the people that you want on your team. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think you know, and your the key that I heard in that the key takeaway really was. That's not for everybody, which right. uh, kind of, you know, if you work backwards from that, kind of explains, you know, the, the big challenge. The big challenge is that there are so many different individuals, so many different circumstances and so many different uh, things that they need to get done that putting a, a one size fits all uh, on for hiring sometimes may not make sense. But you also you don't want to what I guess ab- false advertise what your company is, too. So I think the most important thing here, right, and I think what you're saying is to be truthful about how your company operates, what your values are, and uh, and what uh, someone's going to be compensated, uh, and uh, and see if they fit your organization, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of people. That's a conversation you see a lot on like LinkedIn's these days, like putting the pay on a job description. Some people push back. It's like, well, I don't want to miss out on. Somebody, but I also don't want someone who's not, you know, able to rise to the occasion of what this pay needs to be. And so I know there's a lot of conversation, but in some ways it's like just putting it out there. You know, I'm not going to be the highest paying person, but I'm not ashamed to put the value of what I think a role is or that I can afford. Um, and maybe the other things that I can present, like balance and core values, makes that make more sense to other people and tracks the right people. But if you don't have it up in the upfront, they're, they're never going to know. So that's a so great, you, great way to look so at you, it. So you bring them on board and then you got to have that whole awkward like go situation. Which everyone hates. So well, and not only that, the cost of, um, uh, of uh, constantly cycling through uh, yeah. employees is, is a, is such a, such a high cost to an organization because they're, because you know, you if you factor in the cost of just an onboard, but then turn around and factor in how much your other uh, employees need to train the folks that come on board, uh, there are some soft costs that that people don't take into consideration. Time and effort, you know, it, it's a um, it, it's something that could end up costing you. So I think you're right. I think being upfront about what 
what your company is and and showing that honesty right up, up front. Then people know when they come in, they were presented with what it, what it was and there's no, uh, oh, I didn't know this was going to be what yeah. it was. So I, in, I, I, I ambiguity is, is, is a hard thing because you want to avoid it as much as possible. All the vagueness out of the room um, kind of a thing. Um, and some of it exists. I mean, there is some, but as much as possible that you can remove out of the conversation helps. I mean, that, and that also goes to a client standpoint. I'm not a lawyer. I hate all the legalese. I hate all the contracts. Um, and so we've done very, uh, I think, a very good job on trying to boil it down to human speak, our contracts and our paperwork side of things. But just, again, trying to get out in plain English, what does it mean to do business with Computer Systems Plus? You know, what does that look like? What are our SLAs? What are all these things, you know, that we just try to make sure are in writing, in very visible plain text so that there's no, like, guess mark, you know, what it means to do business with us. You know, I, I've gone, uh, I've gone and looked at a bunch of different uh, MSP websites and 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 looked at the different offerings and stuff, and, uh, and just because of my own curiosity. And uh, and when I go up on there sometimes, um, and I look, I get very confused. Uh, not me specifically, but looking at it, I can see how people would get incredibly confused about the offerings uh, if they're not. Uh, you know, into the acronyms, the logos, uh, sorry, the slogans, the uh, the information uh, that's constantly talked about from a technical standpoint. If you're just a um, a CEO, and, and this I'm gonna, this is the question to you: If I'm a CEO and I am not familiar with IT, right? But I want to make sure that I am uh, fitting up correctly with the correct MSP. Right. Or not just even that, um, let's extend this out even a bit. The correct partner, right? Uh, for, uh, for, um, uh, uh, my IT needs. What do, what, what do I do? What do I need to, uh, understand? Uh, what are the things I need to ask, uh, to, to make sure I make the right decision? Uh, so, and, it, and that's hard. Um, cause everybody, processes and looks for different things that support their companies and everybody's company is different. Um, but I go back to, you know, for me and doing business with somebody else, and I'll just think about the vendors I bring in to run my business. I look for that conversation to start and, and be more centered around the um, results that someone brings to me, not necessarily the um, the services or not necessarily the uh, uh, acronyms and um, brand names. You know, we IT people we're, we're the worst for acronyms and like aligning ourselves to brand names, and they exist, right? You know, we all have our partnerships and we're all proud of logos and you know different things. But man, we're real quick to throw out acronyms and brand names and terminology that a business owner has no clue about. You know, I love my CPA because he talks to me like a human and I can look at him and say, I don't understand that. And, and I have to do that very few times. Um, and he knows that. And so his, his way of presenting his services, I don't want to say he's dumped it down for me because that's, that, that's not right. But he talks to me like he knows that I, I need to hear it. And so he's, he's communicating the value of his services to me not necessarily the nuts and bolts and services. And so when you're a CEO looking for an MSP, I would look for one 
that has a conversation with you, not necessarily has a sales pitch with you, not necessarily one that throws a bunch of numbers and acronyms out at you, but one that says, oh, hey, yeah, let's talk about scalability. Let's talk about that a little bit. What does that mean to you? you know, or what are your biggest challenges that, are, that you face right now to run your company? Not so that he can pitch you something, but that he's generally curious about what it's going to take to support you. You can't have a conversation with that account rep or you know the business owner, whatever that looks like for that MSP pitching to you. If you can't have a conversation with them, then that's probably not somebody that you're going to have some longevity with. Um, they're going to constantly be, again, at those QBRs or those annual meetings, just throwing paperwork at you. That's what they're trained to do, throw numbers, throw acronyms. They're not going to sit down and have that conversation with you. Um, and you know, so that's, that's what I would do. And when you get one, don't be afraid to ask what their core values are. I go back to that. It's not like a broken record, but ask that account rep, what does your company value? That's going to tell you, you know, if they can't answer that question or they give you some kind of elevator pitch that doesn't make a lot of sense, that's going to tell you they're not going to know how to value your business that you're ready to give them sign over if they can't tell you what they personally know. So um, I think having that conversation about views. You know what? What results look like? All that kind of stuff go a long way in finding the right partner for IT. No, I, I, that's a, it's it's great advice uh, for our business partners out there. Um, it, it, so I, I wanted to uh, you know kind of uh, move into this. I'm actually pretty excited about this IT crystal ball uh, uh, segment uh, because it, sometimes you know I kind of try I try and focus what the future of IT is going to be. Uh, you know. Um, based on uh, everyone's experience and 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 what they seem to know the most about. Um, and considering you've been in the MSP uh, world since you were, I think you said three years old, right? Um, I think it's fitting uh, for you to talk about what the future uh, of the MSP looks like. I know that it's already undergone a ton of changes. Um, you know, you, you mentioned remote work. Uh, you mentioned. Uh, you know the uh, um, uh, you know all all these different companies that are you know um, have all these completely different needs uh, and are constantly under flux. I know that you know in the um, in the past several years uh, we've done major transitions to hybrid type work uh, where things are partially in the cloud and some are on premise and and some are in co located facilities. And uh, uh, and it's kind of become a, a mishmash. And on top of that, too, you mentioned also security. So there's a lots of stuff already changing with MSPs. But where do you think uh, you know we're going? Uh, you know, in the next uh, say five years or, or so, uh, it, with MSPs, and 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 where do you uh, you know where do you see the MSPs headed towards? Yeah. So I think where we're going is driven by a lot of what you just said, and that's complexity. No, it is it is getting a more and more complex world and having the right from an MSP perspective, having the right MSP to help you navigate that as a business owner will I think be the key differentiator between successful MSPs and non-successful MSPs. Um, you know, the days of just keeping status quo or the days of nothing broke this past week, um, so I'm successful are Going and gone, really. If we can't have a partner, I think it's what you call an IT partner earlier, um, that can help you navigate the complexity. I mean, just think about data sets are growing 
exponentially. And not only the actual size, but where they are, you know, and even in our small business world with all these, you know, SaaS solutions, you could meet a small little five person CPA firm and hear about 10 different SaaS solutions that they have the need in their business to run their business. And it's just mind blowing because data sets are in so many different places and they're blowing up and they're all over the place. So that complexity from a data standpoint is changing. Complexity from a compliance standpoint. We talked about earlier working with the feds and stuff, you know, complexity there that even the smallest little mom and pop manufacturer are going to have to comply to. Complexity from a cybersecurity standpoint is growing daily and good reasons because we got to be secure. And so complexity is growing. So a successful MSP is going to be able to help a business owner navigate that. A successful on-staff IT person is going to get out of their shell and help their boss navigate those um, complexity. And so I think that's going to be the key differentiator between a successful um, person in IT. Let's move out of the MSP space in IT in general and someone who's not. It's someone who's not only just going to be able to keep things working, quote-unquote, or keep from breaking, but be able to help people navigate the complexity. I think that... That's a great answer. I love how you kind of pulled it out and said, listen, in IT in general, right? Yeah. This is the future of IT is you have to be adaptable. You have to understand com- complexity and be able to break it down. And then, and then uh, I think what I'm hearing you say is be able to explain and offer solutions uh, in this incredibly complex world uh, of things being just you know, all over the place and how to just kind of bring it in and, and make sure that folks can yeah. uh, uh, navigate through it, especially uh, um, executives, other business partners. This applies to everybody. The future I of yeah. IT, if, if I hear you correctly, is complexity. Yes. And, you know, not to say that the guy on tier one, tier two help desk isn't going to like have a successful job. We'll still need those. For people that want to grow and constantly better themselves, they're going to have to be able to navigate that complexity, right? You know, the days of somebody being in the basement to quote an old show from the UK and telling people to reboot is you know, high humor. <laughs> uh, you know, those were, you know, in the 80s and 90s, looking back on my past, those were successful IT people, right? Um, because they were the geeks that knew how to do that kind of stuff. That's not going to be the case in the 2030s for sure. It's going to be helping navigate the complexity, um, you know, helping people navigate these big mass systems and um, uh, the uh, all the SaaS solutions that are out there to help run a company, all that kind of stuff. I and mean, we'll still need network engineers and system administrators, but really they're going to have to learn how to navigate and communicate through complexity too. Well, nerds, this has uh, been Michael Moore um, hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Um, and I've uh, been interviewing Rob Glass, CEO of Computer Systems Plus Incorporated. Rob, it was fantastic to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, sir. Uh, I always tell people I have a face for radio, so I enjoy podcasts and, um, that we can do just voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank and you. If, there's, have a good... if, if there's, your listeners need anything, um, you know, from MSP or a brainstorming standpoint or a good bourbon recommendation, I do all of those things. So sounds good. We'll post your information on LinkedIn so people can stalk you. Have a good one. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Michael.